Well, I'm Sean Styers. He's still not Bobby Hensley. He's Vince D'Addario. Two guys talking sports movies, and we're doing Moneyball this week. Vince is once again pinch hitting for Mr. Bobby Hensley. Glad to have you along for the show again, Vince. Well done with the baseball analogy there, sir. Ha, you like that? I did. I really <laughs> did like that. And and I, I'm excited to be here. Obviously, I know how to work a computer, so I'm uh, you know filling in for Bobby, which is right. good. And uh, I'm excited. Step ahead of Bobby. Yes. Yeah. Well, and again, computer. he's well younger than both of us, and you and I seem to have figured it out. I think that's. I still think that that's hilarious. And he but, works uh, in television with digital <laughs> equipment all the time. Right. So I have no clue. Why <laughs> this is a non-starter for Bobby Hensley. <laughs> I I can't record from home. Everyone in the TV business is doing things from home right now, and radio. Oh, everybody. Yes. I actually followed a new uh, a Twitter account that that uh, talks about people's backgrounds on their interviews, and it's hilarious. He, he grades them like 1 through 10 on what's going on in the background of their interviews. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, our whole society has completely switched over uh, to, to this. And Everyone's doing it, and yeah. until Bobby Hensley shows up, and as long as we're doing podcasts, we're going to make fun of him each and every time we we gave him limited jabs last time but we'll be doing it more and more i did text him last week i said hey you any more tech savvy ready to go and he said let me check and that was the last i heard from him (laughs) let me check and then that's it radio silence yeah that's hilarious but i do appreciate it yeah i appreciate you glad yeah it gives me a chance to uh make my son sit down and watch good movies and uh you know outside of the e-learning and all of that. So uh, it's fun. I enjoy it. So we're doing Moneyball today from 2011. The uh, movie based on essentially the analytics boom, the some of the origins of analytics as it comes to Major League Baseball. And it's centered around the Oakland A's and their general manager, Billy Bean, in his successful, ultimately successful attempt to assemble a baseball team on a small budget by using computer-generated analysis to acquire new players. He, of course, is handicapped with one of the lowest salaries in baseball. And if he ever wants to win the World Series, Billy Bean has to find a competitive advantage. And he's about to turn baseball on its ear using statistical data to analyze and place value on the players that uh, he picks for the team. Vince I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, we saw this movie together. Does that sound did, right to you? Did we really? I think we did. Does the that, dollar theater sound familiar to you? You know what? That actually does sound very... Now that you bring it up, that sounds very... Because there's no way my wife was going to go see this movie. <laughs> Not a chance. So... Well, here's my recollection. It was okay. It was December. Your birthday's in December. I don't think it was like on your birthday or anything like that. But my recollection is my in-laws were in town around the holidays. I needed to get out of the house. (laughs) And you wanted to see this movie as well. And we ended up going to the Dollar Theater and saw this. That's my sketchy memory on this. I'll tell you what. 10 years. Your memory is better than mine. But I, I do have a vague recollection that that is accurate. And, of course, now that Dollar Theater is no longer in existence. That's so that true. tells you how long ago yeah. that was. How many times do you think you've seen Moneyball? Uh, including the time you and I saw it together and the time that I watched it a couple days ago, that would be two. Really? Yeah. So this is the first time you've seen it since that very first time. Correct. Wow. Okay, yeah. so for me, now I have pay channels and all that different kind of stuff. This is one of those movies that I will definitely stop on and pick it up for like at least 10 minutes or so. You know, to see where they are, that kind of thing, and watch. I do have the DVD, so I've seen I've right. seen it several times. So I, okay. I've seen it much more than than two times. I, I I don't have a number, but I've seen it quite a bit. I it, you know, I'm I'm right in that. Uh, your your kids are a little bit older than mine, so I'm right in that neighborhood of like I don't get to see many movies. Sure. And uh, you're you know, watching so that... kids movies when you do. <laughs> yeah, we, I just got done watching Cars, actually. That's why uh-huh. I was a couple minutes late to our podcast. Uh, so uh, that's where I'm at. I, I'm I'm dialed in to Disney movies and everything else. Like, I've got that on lock. Um, so the recent stuff is a little bit harder for me. But at the same time, I as I was watching it, it was all coming back to me um, very clearly. So I, it, it's been a little while, but I did remember most of it, uh, okay. which I was very surprised about. 
anything since since again th- these are your only two viewings and it's and it's been a good nine ten years in between viewings anything that really stands out to you just about the movie in general well i remember going into it the first time thinking how in the world are they going to make a movie about moneyball same like thing. that yeah that that totally blew my mind i think i was it was more of a let's see how they're going to do this and especially with the fact that Brad Pitt was going to be mm-hmm. you know the star of it and everything else like that it didn't compute for me uh even watching the the previews and everything else on how they were actually going to put together a movie with like a plot and a climax and like all these different things that you need in a movie mm-hmm. how are they going to do that with with this theory essentially you know um but I think they did a really good job and I I didn't remember some of I forgot how uh, good Billy Bean was with the one-liners. Now I realize, <laughs> I, I realize, my, maybe some of that is fiction. At least the ones uh, that were written for him, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, it, I, I found myself laughing out loud at, at numerous times uh, throughout this movie, um, and so it surprised me. It was funny. Um, I mean, I wouldn't call it a comedy, but there was plenty of laughs in there, and having Jonah Hill, obviously. As the you know the the supporting character, I think definitely helped. Now he wasn't like a funny man in this, but his comedic timing is still very very good. And like his facial expressions, and um, you know we're obviously going to get to this, but some of my favorite scenes are when they're making the trades. Yeah, you know, exactly. And the exactly. facial impressions because they're on speakerphone, you know. And so <laughs> I just it was it was very entertaining, and I was not anticipating that going into watching this movie. Yeah, I agree, and especially, I, I think, a few different things that you hit on there. This is essentially a movie about a theory, and having read the book several times, have you read the book? No, I have okay. not. Okay, so I've read the book at least twice all the way through, and I think there's some other stuff every now and then. I would go back and, and kind of look at some different things, and, and having read the book, I'm like, how are they going to turn this in right. a book because the book Moneyball written by Michael Lewis is essentially Lewis was embedded with Bean during that 2002 season and I don't know exactly what he thought he was going to get out of this but they also focus a lot of the attention of the book on the specifically on the draft and, and players they were evaluating and, and the way those players went about doing things and the specific things, the on-base percentage and, and right. all those different things leading up to the draft. And so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of that. And more of the conflict I think with the scouts is even about the draft and how they're approaching okay. going about things in the book. So having read that and then also hearing Jonah Hill is gonna be in this, I'm like <laughs> Right. What I was very skeptical. About oh, how yeah. they were going to be able to pull this off, absolutely. And they they didn't even touch on the draft. I mean, they yeah they kind of used the theories or whatever to pick up free agents uh, right. in the off season. They didn't even touch the draft. And I, and I think they kind of have to because when you look at the way the movie is what is made, they spend a lot of time with essentially setting the whole thing up it's it's a movie where you you kind of have to get into some of these details but you also have to find a way to do it in an entertaining enough way that it that sure. it's going to appeal to a more mass audience and it did real well at the box office it, it was had like a 50 million dollar budget grossed more than 110 million bucks worldwide so i mean relative i don't know exactly what hollywood thinks about that as a gross, but it more than doubled the money that they sure. spent on this whole thing. And there was a lot of there were a lot of problems just with the process of getting this made because the original guy develops the rights. He he's got a screenplay for the book, and it was filmed in Los Angeles. Once Brad Pitt committed to the project, the original guy Stan Shervin drops out. So then this other guy, Steve Zalian was was signed to write a second screenplay and this guy David Frankel was supposed to direct. Steve Soderbergh was subsequently signed to replace this Frankel guy. So there's all these different sort of iterations of this movie. Soderbergh his original plan was to make a semi-documentary out of this thing where they were going to use real players and I just I can't imagine 
how that would have gone over. I, I think this ended up being a much better approach uh, because then they ended up bringing in um, Aaron Sorkin, the guy who's done a lot of TV, mm-hmm. and Bennett Miller ends up directing. But Aaron Sorkin ends up being the guy who writes the third version of this whole thing. And I, and I think they were able to pull it off really well. The way they told this story as again, we go back to a theory, an idea that is predominantly about numbers. And I think the way they yeah. were able to pull that off was both entertaining and also informative. It conveyed the message that, that, that really you had to convey to get this approach, approach across. And in the end, the movie ends up being nominated for Academy Award. It, it's the first baseball movie since Field of Dreams in 89 to be nominated for Crazy. an Academy Award. And Brad Pitt was nominated for his portrayal of Billy Bean as well. Well, and I think they did a good job. Like, they, they squeezed the timeline down. Um, you know, the Jonah Hill's character, you know, in real life was hired a few years prior to the 2002 season. Right. And, you know, it wasn't like a, a split decision you know a split second decision there because of a meeting in the office that uh billy bean decided to hire him uh you know so they they, they squeeze it down and then they use the season as the the arc of right. the movie you know what i mean that wind streak a, there, yeah right and there was a clear beginning and where there was a problem the problem was replacing those guys that left you know in free agency which was true i mean that actually happened but they use that as a problem for him to change his entire outlook on how he was trying to build the team and you know how that went, and then the obviously they used Art Howe as the antagonist throughout the whole thing, and then you know they get to the twenty win streak, and then it come, you know so it, they did a good job of finding that storyline essentially, yeah. and they used the season as that story arc, and it it worked out great. I mean, you could follow it along. You saw the problems. You saw them try to solve those problems, and everything that went along with it. And it, it was very entertaining. It went by very quickly to watch. Well, and it was interesting because a couple of different guys, speaking of the focus on that 2002 draft, Kevin Euclid, who was a college player at Cincinnati, and this kid Jeremy Brown, who was a catcher, I believe, at Alabama, they were two big focuses of the draft. And obviously, a few years later, we would everyone would kind of come to know who Kevin Euclid was. He was a right. prominent big leaguer for the Boston Red Sox for several years, helped him win a couple titles and all that kind of stuff. He was referred to as the Greek god of walks in the that book. That was great. Because they loved him. And you really only get both of these different guys. Euclid, you, you've got the Jonah Hill character, Peter Brand. He's he's scouting video and watching, and they're sitting there talking about Kevin Euclid and some things they're seeing. And you can tell it's him just from the the uh, unusual stance that he has and everything. And then Jeremy Brown, I don't even know if they say his name or not, but Jeremy Brown at the very end, again, when all this different stuff is going on, he is the very large catcher who hits the home run and then takes the tumble rounding first. And he doesn't realize he's hit a home run. He's trying to scramble back in to first base. Well, both of those guys were mentioned very prominently in the book, but this was essentially the only way they could sort of work them into the movie. They at least gave yeah. them a little bit in the movie because it just would have been too much, really, to, to go down rabbit holes on individual guys like right. this in terms of the draft and stuff like that, I think. Well, one thing I thought was interesting, because I, I enjoyed the movie so much, and, of course, I had the DVD that you let me borrow. Thank you. <laughs> and um, I went to the the special features, and I went to the you know the, the scenes that get cut or whatever, uh-huh. deleted scenes. And one of the scenes uh, was they, they really kind of extended out the thought process of Billy Bean taking the GM spot for the Red Sox. Okay. And the, the scene in the locker room where um, Jonah Hill comes in, and, you know, he throws the baseball at him and he gets, you know, what, a, you know, thrown off guard by the baseball being thrown right. at him and whatever. And they have a conversation. Well, the original scene was a conversation where Jonah Hill sat down with Brad Pitt and he's like, look, you're going to take this job and I'm going to be the new GM. And I want you to give, I want you to trade me Kevin Euclid and give me like $250,000. <laughs> he's like, that's the deal. And I was like, I I, had, I was actually riveted to that conversation. It was really really interesting, and I, 
I almost wonder why they took that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, there's time and there's all kinds of reasons that they take out scenes. But I thought that scene was really, really interesting. Um, that the Jonah Hill character, uh, Paul D. Podesta, or however you know, whatever you want to call him, right. um, comes in and he's like, "Look, I'm going to be the new GM. I'm coming. I'm going to play hardball with you. If you're going to take this job, you're going to do this for me." And I thought that was interesting. Well, that's the other. We'll get to that as well. Paul D. Podesta, a longtime baseball guy who actually now works for the Cleveland Browns, he didn't want his name attached to the movie for for whatever reason. I don't know if it had to do something with Jonah Hill. I, I it seems like I remember hearing something that way back when, just because I think that was when Jonah Hill was still in his heavier days. I don't know if yeah. that had something to do with it, or if he just thought that because he had more of a comedic background that he wasn't going to be portrayed the way he wanted to be portrayed so de podesta didn't want his name in there and they essentially but he helped agreed. out with the movie which was yeah. interesting like he was totally helpful yeah. in the background of the movie which is weird. he just didn't want his name on it yeah like just he, the one he yeah go ahead i was just gonna say that some of the the research that i did he said oh no i think jonah hill did a great job he's like i just didn't want the fame he's like i he goes i had the fame when the book came out and now the movie's out he goes i don't want to go through that again Interesting. Like, well, it's interesting, I okay. guess. I don't know. All right. Just the one other thing I'll mention on the draft, just because I got to be closely connected to a couple of different guys who, who were also mentioned in the book. Steve Stanley, he played at Notre Dame, an All-American. Uh, he and Brian Stavisky helped the Fighting Irish go to the College World Series in 2002. I was doing the play-by-play -play for Notre Dame baseball that year, both of those guys got drafted by the A's, as did Nick Swisher, who was playing for Ohio State, and Notre Dame beat Ohio State in the regional championship game that year to advance them through the NCAA tournament. So all three of these guys played against each other early in hmm. the NCAA tournament that year and all ultimately ended up getting drafted. And kind of following, that, that was Stanley's senior year, and following him... In his career a little bit, he topped out in uh, minor league baseball. I can't remember. He, I, I believe he may have gotten to Sacramento, their AAA affiliate. I know he was at AA for a long time. But I remember talking to him early on in his pro career after he was drafted. And some of this gets mentioned in those montages where Bean and Brand are talking with the players about their approach at the plate, see more right. pitches and all that stuff. But they're talking about no bunts. You don't steal bases, and that was a big part of Steve's game in college was stealing bases, but they didn't want him stealing bases hmm. in, in the minor leagues and in professional baseball, and that was all those things were something that the A's were emphasizing in their minor league organization to all these guys was just the, the, the taking pitches, get on base, don't steal bases, all that kind of approach as uh, offensively as, their work, as they worked their way through the minor leagues. Well, and obviously, you know, now we know that all 30 ball clubs are have adopted, you know, some sort of a metrics department, you know, that that's advising them, et cetera. And, and if you're just talking about stolen bases, I mean, if you, you look back to the glory days of stolen bases, you know, there was guys with 100 stolen bases in a year. And now you're looking at the lead league leading in like mid to high 20s. Yeah. You know, I mean, people just don't steal bases anymore. And I. From a coaching standpoint, I, I love to steal bases. You know, I, I absolutely love it. I understand that once you get on base, you don't want to run into any outs. But, man, I, I, I enjoy putting pressure on the other team and, and things of that nature. I mean, I, I really think stealing bases and being active on the base paths can, can really benefit you. But I guess when you get to the major leagues and the talent is more, uh, you know, the top-level talent. better, yeah. Right. So you, it goes away. You know, and then you've got shifts and you've got all kinds of other issues mm -hmm. as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, stolen bases have gone way down uh, across the board in the last 10 years. Yeah, there are very few teams who place any priority on stealing bases. Uh, just just very few. Like the Royals a few years ago. Now, they would they stole a lot of bases when, when they went to two World Series in a row and won it in 2015. But they were a lot less analytically inclined when it came sure. to the way their offense ran. And that was, we're talking about old school versus new school. And Ned Yost, their manager, was definitely an old school guy. So he wasn't right. as much 
into that. There, there were some defensive things and just general scouting and stuff like that that they would use. But, but as an offensive approach, the Royals were really one of the last teams to, to do anything significant. And it was still fairly recent, but they were one of the last teams to do anything significant that really is not in this analytic sort of approach because all these other teams, whether it's the Cubs, the Astros, obviously, the Red Sox, all these teams are, are so much more analytically inclined just the way they're processing their numbers and information and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it, it's really interesting how the whole, you know, A's metrics thing has just really caught on and and uh somebody made a good point in one of the extras is that look everybody goes by this now and yeah. so what used to be an advantage for the a's is no longer an advantage and so now they're really right back where they started from um with the the disparity of the payroll because the only advantage they ever had was the fact that they knew how to do this money ball thing, and now everybody's doing it. So right. they're kind of right back to square one again. No, and that's exactly it. Now the teams with the big payrolls have sunk their money, essentially, into putting an emphasis on this stuff that, that used to cut across the grain when uh, Billy Bean was really sort of making it popular. I wanted to ask a couple more things before we get into the, uh, the cast and some of our questions and stuff like that. Anything, I wanted to do this up front, Okay. Anything that really bugs you about this movie, Vince? You know, as I was watching it, I, and this is going to sound a little ridiculous, and I know why they did it, but the all almost every single scene with his daughter was a complete <laughs> waste of time to me. Like, yeah. I, I just don't see how that moved the plot along at all. They wanted to make him look like he was human, and they wanted to give him another side, you know, and all this other stuff. And there was that awkward scene with the ex-wife, with the new husband, and the cell phone thing. Like, all of that was just superfluous to me. Like, no, get back to making agree. trades yeah. and, you know, all the stuff within the baseball. That's what I wanted to see. I just, great, his daughter can play guitar. Like, that, <laughs> that didn't do anything for me. I'm sorry. So that, well, that bugged me. Yeah, I think this goes back to some of the stuff I've talked about in a lot of other podcasts where – especially if it's a sports movie and something like this where the material is generally you're not you're probably not going to get a lot of moms and girlfriends interested in right. the story in general of a guy bringing about the analytics revolution to baseball so you've got you know you, you kind of have to have as you said that humanizing side that relationship part yeah. of him that shows a different side of him i agree i, I mean in general you know it, it's there wasn't a whole lot of purpose to it i guess he was actually remarried as well and they don't really they, well they don't at all get into <laughs> no that side of he it. looks like a bachelor yeah I mean, exactly. he gets to see his daughter like once a month like that's that's what it felt like you know and he, he tries to buy her affection like by buying her you know a, a guitar like they almost made him look like a not great father to be honest yeah. and it, i just don't think he needed that like it just didn't didn't do anything for me, and I don't think it did anything for the storyline either. Yeah, and now mine is minor, but since they did it, and you know, we could probably, if we, if we knew everything that actually happened and exactly the way it happened, we could probably pick this movie apart and like, you know, sure, sixty or seventy percent didn't actually happen the way it happened. There's the one scene though where the scout Grady is doing a radio interview. Yeah, he says, they call it Moneyball. Well. That wasn't actually a term that was used right. back then. It was it, the, the term Moneyball didn't come about until Michael Lewis called his book Moneyball. He, he had right. to figure out, you know, sort of how he was going to characterize and and just just the way he was going to frame this whole thing. And the the name that he came up with was Moneyball. So that wasn't actually something that was being kicked around. Again, minor thing, but it, it just kind of well, that's not really the way that it happened. But one of the biggest problems a lot of people have with this movie, when we're talking specifically about the baseball side, it doesn't mention that the team had three really good pitchers who all won at least 15 games that season. Mark Mulder, Barry Zito, Tim Hudson. So do you have a problem with the fact that they don't get into that aspect of things at all, that they don't mention the really good pitching that this team had? Well, now that you mention it, they didn't really talk about the defensive strategy at all. Like they, they didn't talk about, you know, pitching strategy or, you know, any of that, like none, nothing. It was all offense, you know, and I don't, I guess I, I haven't 
read the book, obviously, so I don't know if Moneyball has anything to do. If it's, is it all offense, or does it bring into it some defense as well? Yeah, well, back then I think it was more definitely about the offensive approach because, okay. as Billy Bean said, div- I, I don't care about defense. Uh, that's one of the arguments that he has with Art with Hal- Yeah, So back yeah. then, shifts and all that stuff weren't weren't nearly as big a – as big because right. I think really the shifts have probably only been what the like the last six or seven years or something right. like that. But the thing with the pitching, one I did notice. I guess this is something that I did notice rewatching it this time on one of the boards. They have like a depth chart board where they okay. actually do have Mulder, Zito, Hudson, and Corey Lytle up there. So they at least, you know, again, kind of going back to the Euclid and Jeremy Brown thing where they've, where they've got them, where they're scouting yeah. video and stuff like that. They, they at least did have them in a shot, but I guess my biggest argument is one, as you well know, Vince, as a baseball coach at any level of baseball, if you're going to have a successful team, you're going to have successful pitching. Have to. Two, Mulder, Zito, Hudson, and I think Lytle is in this mix as well. They were all like 24 years old and under. They were all on their original contracts. So even these guys were homegrown guys. So yes, while it took successful pitching, and these guys were all good pitchers in their own right, while it took successful pitching as well to win a division, I just think that the story becomes way too convoluted if you try to go down some kind of line with that. I, I, I just don't think that it makes sense. And again, these guys were all so young and they were part of the ace. It's not like they had to go out and spend right. big money to bring these guys in. They were part of the A's organization. They were all 24 and under. And yes, they all happen to be very good pitchers as well. So I don't, I don't think that it detracts from this story by not mentioning them in there. Well, and if you, if you watch, like I, I, for whatever reason, when they would show like the team walking around with their jerseys on or whatever, you know they showed Mark Mulder, Barry Zito, Tim Hudson. Like they they had actors that were wearing jerseys with those guys' names on. Yeah, the back, that's right. Right. Yeah. W- with the correct numbers. So I mean, it, it they, they didn't dive into references. it as a <laughs> exactly. They didn't dive into it as a plot line, but they showed that they were there. And the other guy that they never mentioned was Miguel Tejada. He was a stud, and they they showed him a couple times. They showed number four. You know. But they didn't talk about him at all, you know. And right. so when you're when you're when you're writing a movie, you, you kind of got to pick and choose, you know. If they went down the rabbit hole of all of these different guys and what they brought to the table, this thing would have been four or five hours long. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah, we've got Miguel Tejada. Yeah, he was a good player, but that's not <laughs> it's not part of the you know the the the, the bigger picture that they're trying to get right. across in this whole thing. You have around two hours to tell to summarize this <laughs> yeah. whole story about. The baseball statistics revolution. I just think that you, you would be straying too far if you tried to include all these other things like that in there. Which is a challenge anyway, because the topic that they're trying to explain to the average moviegoer is complicated as all heck. Yeah. And they did a pretty good job, whether it was in the meeting with the scouts or it was, you know, just the one-on-one with Peter Brand and, and Billy Bean. They did a pretty good job of explaining, at least on the periphery, of what they were trying to accomplish. You right. know what I mean? Without, again, going down that rabbit hole of numbers and equations and all that stuff. You know what I mean? I, I think they did a pretty good job of that. I agree as well. Philip Seymour Hoffman played Art Howe. He was another interesting one because no, just knowing what Art Howe looked like, he was a little bit taller, a little bit more slender. I mean, Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman was a little, <laughs> you know, more of a burly guy, I think. And I know Art Howe didn't like his depiction in the movie. He He's more or less Moneyball's version of the Dan Devine character in Rudy. He kind of <laughs> had to be the heel in there because there was something there was definitely resistance because he's an old school guy but there were right you know when you start to to look at a, a lot of the little things you know there, there weren't quite as many differences as, as are played up in the movie especially when it's specific to the scott hatterberg character well and it's it's funny because you know philip seymour hoff has been in a lot of movies and and usually he's kind of he doesn't play a baseball manager you know <laughs> like yeah it would 
it was kind of for at first I didn't recognize him number one because he had his head shaved. Got the buzz head, yeah. Yeah, I didn't recognize him at first. And I mean, that's a good quality of an actor is that you don't recognize him right away. Um, but it's not a role that you would expect him to be in, uh, to be honest. And so I thought he did a good job. Um, but he was definitely the antagonist in this whole thing. I mean, yeah. they they it was very clear that he was going to be the guy that was standing in the way of this whole thing. Well, and some of the trades didn't go down exactly the way they were portrayed. Again, we're not going to get too hung up on all of that, but the 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 one thing when it when it comes to the art how character in Hatterberg was the fact that Hatterberg actually was even though they didn't play him at first base necessarily a lot he was used as the DH quite a bit that season so it's not like he wasn't exactly in the lineup you know so I think that again yeah. when you when you look at some of the things that that people could take exception with you know that's well, and they made it look like he was on the bench like not yeah. playing at all like exactly. the, the time that he had to pinch hit there. Yeah. In the the twentieth game or whatever, and hit the home run. Like they made it look like he didn't even have a uniform on. Like he was just sitting in the corner, you know, not <laughs> right. playing. Like, right. <laughs> Do you like Brad Bean or Brad Bean? Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, main character. <laughs> I mean, I thought he did a good job. I, I I don't think of Brad Pitt and think of somebody who's a numbers guy. Uh, you know, or, or <laughs> right. you know that kind of a thing. Uh, but. The way they portrayed him with like the track suits and like just being laid back and like having the one liners and things like that, I think that they they morphed the Billy Bean character into something that could fit Brad Pitt. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Um, because when I saw Billy Bean talking some of the extras, I was like, that is not Brad Pitt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. it was just, those were two completely different dudes. Um, but they made the character fit the persona of Brad Pitt. Well, and so, something that I found interesting in, have you seen the Oceans movies, like Oceans 11? Oh, yeah. And stuff like oh, that. Yeah. So like the original, yep. especially the original, Brad Pitt is always eating something in that movie. And, it, and it's the same in Moneyball. So is that a Brad Pitt thing? You know, it's like in both of these movies, because like he's shoving the Twinkies in his face. He's, he's always eating something. <laughs> In these movies, and I, and it, never it, thought about that. And it, yeah, it just it it struck me that he that he's always shoving some food in his face. In both he definitely shoved movies. that entire Twinkie in his mouth too. He did. Like that was I'll tell him. Okay. That's right. <laughs> that That's was right. great. All right, uh, Chris Pratt, Ascot Hatterberg, He's gone on to kind of be a big, huge star. Um, he had to lose some weight. To get this role, and, and I guess while he was trying to lose the the weight and get in better shape, he kind of kept getting in touch with the movie people, going, "Hey, is that role still uh, <laughs> available?" <laughs> but uh, you know, he's he's gone on to action hero and, and stuff like that in in uh, in the movies. I haven't seen. Is it like the Avengers movies? Have you seen any of those? I haven't. That's just not really up it's my just, wheelhouse yeah, either. It's just a genre I'm just not that just, into. But yeah, it's just know. not. I, but I, I thought he because I know who Chris Pratt is. I mean, I don't live in a cave, but yeah. like, I, I thought that he looked very young, obviously, in this movie. I mean, it was clearly early on in his career, and I, mm -hmm. he he did a good job. He was very unassuming. Um, you know, he he played the the aw shucks kind of character. I think pretty well. Uh, if that's what they were going for, um, I thought it was good. All right, let's get into some lines. Okay. What do you say? All right, sounds good to me. All right, and I've got, a t as you said, I've got a ton of Billy <laughs> lines. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you go first because yeah. I'm sure you have more than I do. I'm, I'm still trying to get used to, like, writing things down as I watch the movie. Like, I get sucked in, and then I forget to write stuff down. Um, but so I'll let you go first. But to I've me, got it's a, the I've biggest pain of doing yes. this is, is, like, you have to sit there and, and write all this stuff down because you're not going to remember it if you don't. Write it down, right. or at least that there's no way I can. Um, first one, not really a funny one, but when, when he's meeting with the owner up early on in the movie, he's like, what are we doing here if it's not to win a championship? And it just, you know, kind of starts off the theme of the whole thing. But it also, again, shows the constraints with which he was working under. Well, yeah, and the owner was, he was dead. So he's like, I'm not wasting my money. I'm not spending like, this money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was a, a no-go. Right. You know, and the only way later on, you know, when they were trying to make that trade for Ricardo Rincon, he's like, look, I'll put the money up. 
He goes, but I get the benefit. I get the money that we make on him when we trade him yeah. in the off season. Yeah. And that's exactly. the only way he could get the owner to spend money when he saw that there was a chance they could make more. So I thought that was interesting. That was an interesting dynamic between the ownership and Billy Bean and what right. he was trying to accomplish. All right, what do you got? All right, I I got one here. Okay, so of course, again, most of mine are Billy. Um, <laughs> but I, I when he was trying to teach Jonah Jonah Hill's character uh, on how to cut a kid, right, or how to cut a player, and he's like. Would you rather take a bullet to the head or five to the chest and bleed to death? Are those my only I two thought, options? I thought that was, yeah, I thought, I thought that was great. And again, the Jonah Hill character with great comedic timing with the comeback. Are uh-huh. those my only two options? Like, I, two I just options? Thought, that was, I thought, I thought that was great. It was a great exchange. I, I thought that the chemistry between those two was actually very, very good uh, as well. It was. So. It was. They worked very well together. Billy on the phone with Pete. Pack your bags, Pete. I just bought you from the Cleveland Indians. When he calls him <laughs> up, he's like drunk dialing him, and and they're, they're like, would you have drafted me and and all that stuff. Yeah, pack your bags, Pete. Just bought you from Cleveland. <laughs> well, I like he's like uh, ninth round, no signing bonus. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. And and he'd already made the decision to buy him. Like he yeah. didn't. I guess he was trying to look for some confirmation that that would that he should know. be his guy. Yeah. Right. Uh, Billy, uh, when I think this was during one of the montages or whatever, when he was trying to tell him, you know, when he was going through the different guys and telling them, you know, their approach and everything else. And he's like, when your enemy makes a mistake, don't interrupt them. Don't interrupt. That's right. I thought that that's, that's good advice. Like for life. Yeah. That's fantastic. When your enemy makes a mistake, is that like a Napoleon thing or something? Like, I don't know, but it's quality. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Billy to Art, at this moment, if the ball was hit to first base, nobody's going to be there to stop it from rolling. When they're out in the hallway <laughs> and he's getting yeah. ready, he wants to get it inside to the meeting because he's going to talk to the scouts about how they're going to put a team together. But Art wants to talk about his contract. When they're in the meeting and uh, the scout, one of the scouts goes, he's got an ugly girlfriend. She's a six at right. best. He's got no confidence. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. And if that doesn't depict kind of the overall thinking, or at least what they wanted you to think of how the scouts were thinking. You know, all these abstract, you know, if he's got an ugly girlfriend, he's got no confidence, you know, well, that kind of stuff. Apparently, that was one, that that was something that did come up in one of these meetings. I think it's in the book. I think they it, it might have been like poor eyesight rather than no confidence or something like that. <laughs> but apparently that is something that really came up. In, in in one of their conversations with with real scouts saying this stuff, uh, I, I, I thought that that scene was awesome. By the way, no, I know him and the scouts and stuff. So, got a lot of the scout scenes on the on that list. Uh, yeah. Scott Hatterberg, I've never played first base. Billy, it's not that hard. Scott, tell yeah. him Wash, and then Ron Washington, it's incredibly hard. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. <laughs> <laughs> I had that one down too. That was one of my favorites because he's deadpan about it. He's like, yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> Doesn't miss a beat. <laughs> and I forgot. I, I guess I didn't realize that was Ron Washington because he calls oh, him okay. Wash, you know, Coach yeah. Washington. And then later on, I, I read, you know, that Ron Washington took over at, or he he became the manager uh, the, of the uh, Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. And Art Howe became his bench coach, which I thought was interesting. Oh. So it was kind of a connection. I didn't realize Art Howe was, how was his bench coach. I knew that. That Washington was was the Rangers manager. I didn't realize that Art Howe connection over there. Interesting. Yep. When he okay. first took over. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else did I have? Uh, I think that that might be all that I had for okay. lines. I've got a few more. Billy yeah, to please. Art. Good meeting. Every time we talk, I'm reinvigorated <laughs> by my love of the game. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> One of the many That's times great. that they're butting heads and about philosophy and stuff like that oh i got another one okay go ahead just came to just came to me all right so uh when they when they went in and uh he was explaining to art he's like oh nope you got to play hatterberg at first he's like yeah. he goes lineup lineup cards mine he's like i'm you know i'm gonna be playing uh pena and that's the end of it. he's like oh you can't play pena he goes i just traded pain he belongs to the you know he <laughs> belongs to the tigers and right. then you know he calls in uh he he calls in Giambi and he tells him that he's been traded and he walks out and he goes, oh yeah, by the way, 
traded him too. <laughs> like, just as kind of an aside. He did it right in front of him. And he's like, yeah, by the way, he's gone too. He's gone too. That was yeah. great. <laughs> uh, Billy, when he goes into the locker room and Giambi's up at the boom box and he's dancing and all that stuff and Billy smashes the boom box, yeah. he's like, there's silence. And he's just standing there for, for about a three beat. That's what silence, or that's what losing sounds like. I thought that was a good line. That's right. Um, I didn't get what's all your biggest fear of the baseball being you know, whether, hit? My whether that actually direction. happened or not, I don't know. But Yeah, but still, it's a good line. What's your biggest fear of the baseball <laughs> yeah. hit being hit in my general direction? Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Seriously. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> when I had a Bergen Justice or talking <laughs> in the kitchen. Um, yeah, that's great. I'm trying to see. Oh, and then the last one, there's the narration at the end of the game. We've got kind of that. I think he was supposed to be the radio voice. He was kind of one of the radio hosts or something like that. And he does the narration at the end. Nobody reinvents the game. It is is kind of the line that stuck with me out of that after it kind of goes on after they lose to the Twins in the playoffs. And, of course, as it turned out, somebody did reinvent the game. It was uh, reinvented quite a bit for good or bad. Right. Yep. Okay, let's do some favorite scenes. I've got the first meeting that Billy has with the scouts, and you were talking about the early girlfriend. Uh, uh, yeah, early, early, ugly girlfriend, no confidence. But you've got the old school scouts, and they're talking about you know the talent and the body makeup and all this different stuff. He's a good if he's a good hitter. Why doesn't he hit good? Well, he's got an early or why do I keep saying early ugly girlfriend? <laughs> he's got an early girlfriend. Well, he's got the looks, but the girlfriend is a six at best. So I thought the, I thought that was a good scene to kind of get things off just to, to sort of see the general, you get that early vibe about old school scouts and what Billy Bean is trying to accomplish. Well, and and he was. Uh, they did a good job of those. All first of all, they made every scout in there old, which I think wasn't an accident. You know what I mean? Because they represent the old school look and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So everybody in there was old, and then they were they were bouncing back and forth and just agreeing with each other about all these guys. You know, the ball just bounces off his bat and he hits for power and he does the you know da 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 da. Right. And you, they keep panning. They keep panning over to. Uh, Billy Bean and he's he just like rolling his eyes and he like starts doing the 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 talking thing with his hand and he's like all you guys are doing is talking he's like if he's such a good hitter how come he doesn't hit right you know it's like it, the the whole thing is like you guys are just talking to talk like come on give me something here you and he know? goes into the whole the problem we're trying to solve is there are rich teams there are poor teams then there's fifty feet of crap and then there's us and then there's us <laughs> he said it's an unfair game. And if we go out there and we try to win like the Yankees, we will lose to the Yankees out there. You know, and, and, and again, I mean, he says, it sounds like fortune teller logic, Billy. And he's like, let us do what we know how to do. And, and but, uh, you know, again, it, it just cuts to the whole, you know, the whole thing and the, and the conflict. And it's interesting because I think they brought up Fabio in the jeans. And I remember that came up quite a bit. In the book, it's like he was always repeating in the book, we're not selling jeans out there. We're, we're trying to find baseball players and, and that kind of thing. And as you said, you coach. I, I've coached baseball, and I can tell tell you that there was one time where I had two guys, and one was sort of lacking in one set of skills, the other was lacking in another. But one of the kids was just a lot more athletic looking, had a more muscular build, than the other kid, and they were very similar in a lot of different ways. The kid who looked the part with some other coaches that he had had got more opportunities, but it was actually mm-hmm. the other kid who was the one who specifically at the plate who produced more at the plate. So you have to right. learn to, to kind of put some of those preconceived biases that we're all used to getting into behind you. That's that's a big part of, of you know the whole the whole deal here with this movie and the book and everything. Yep. Yeah. And I think that was the point that he was making on more than one occasion. He's, you know, don't worry. And then they, when they showed that video of Jeremy Brown, the guy had, yeah. I mean, he, he had a whole lunch in front of hanging over his belt. I never would know. have imagined reading the book oh. that the guy was that big, you know, they, oh they, my they make goodness. him out to be big, but that guy was Woo. big. 
And then when he lumbered back, when he, you know, he fell over, then he lumbers back to first and he's holding on to the bag for dear life. Like he just, he looked like he was about 350 pounds and had a hard time putting one foot in front of the other. Like (laughs) he did. Unbelievable, man. All right. What's your scene? Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when, uh, Billy goes into the cage to talk to David justice and, and justice uh, right off the bat, he's combative and he's like, look, I'm, you know, all that stuff you're talking to those guys about doesn't matter to me. I'm a veteran. I know what I'm doing. He goes, you're paying me $7 million to be here. And he's like, look, man, I'm not paying you $7 million. The Yankees are paying half your salary right. to play against them. He goes, that's, what that's they how much you. they think of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that, that was a very sobering, uh, you know, conversation, I think, for at least in the movie, for David Justice in the movie. I don't know if that conversation ever took place, but um, – that's a very sobering thought to think about. They're paying you $3.5 million to play against them. Yeah, That's how much they think of you. He said, you know, I want to milk the last ounce of baseball in you, and you want to stay in the show. I'm playing for the player you are now, not the player you used to be. So let's kind of work with that. And, and things obviously right. did turn around there. Um, Let me see. Oh, so I've got – the meeting with the Indians, the first time he sees Peter Brand when he's sitting yep. there trying to make the deal with Shapiro, the the Indians general manager, and they're they're talking about these players, and then Shapiro would always <laughs> look over to the corner and here's Peter Brand whispering in this other guy's ear, and then they right. they end up leaving the office, and he goes up to Peter Brand, and he's like, "Who are you? <laughs> I'm Peter Brand." <laughs> no, no, who are yeah, you? Who are you? He's like, "I'm just some guy that." That he never listens to it. He's like, well, he sure listened to you in there. Yeah. So I thought that was a pretty cool scene. Well, I thought it was interesting, uh, just from a continuity standpoint, the fact that he flew to Cleveland to have this conversation, uh, you know, in a room by himself with Shapiro or Shapiro and like eight other guys, right, on a trade possibility when forever and always the rest of the movie, everything was done by phone. Right. I thought it was. My guess is that was that was something that that was a work of fiction that they had to sort yeah. of just aggregate. to get him to meet. Yeah. So so yeah. So a, a more entertaining way for those two guys to get together than whatever it happened to actually be. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. Because again, they they squished the timeline down. I mean, and they made it sound like Peter Brand had only been with the Indians for like a month, and he had actually been a scout for a couple of years and he was a month into his tenure as a special assistant when he came over. Uh, but that was prior to the 2002 season as well. So the whole, the whole thing was kind of smushed together and they had to, you know, movie magic, you know, got to make it happen. Right. Um, but one of my, I, I absolutely loved the scenes where they were making trades and it, it just, it blew my mind and I love kind of like behind the scenes kind of stuff. And th- basically that's what this whole movie was was you know behind the scenes of how a baseball team is put together um but the way he was playing gms against each other right and you know the the phone conversations back and forth and you know talking to his owner and all these different like it was just it was like a, a symphony you know of back <laughs> and forth i it was awesome i just loved it it was awesome yeah when they're trading giambi they're trading peña all that stuff and and the whole thing where peter brand keeps kind of like what are you doing bill you know there and there's the one where he hangs up the phone and he's like he's like why'd you hang up i think he was going to say something else <laughs> he said when you get the answer you're looking for hang, hang up, up. <laughs> <laughs> it's great yeah and he's like he's like why do you feel like you have to explain everything pete that you know that's that's a problem and, and he goes into the whole hey look you're 25 you went to yale Mm-hmm. I don't think we're asking the right question. The question we should be asking is, do you believe in this thing or not? You don't have to explain yourself to anyone. And, and you know, again, I think that ultimately is how this thing came about. Because then when you also look at the conflict with the scout where they're out in the hallway, Grady, and, and they're butting heads about this whole thing, and Grady ends up getting fired. And, and, and Grady's thing is Major League Baseball thinks the way I do. You're, you're not going to win out there. You're never going to get another job after this catastrophic season mm-hmm. that you're setting us all up for. And he calls Peter Brand Google Boy and all that stuff. But <laughs> but that was, again, in 2002, that was the conflict. It was old yeah. school baseball, old school scouts against 
this sort of modern thinking that no one was really putting any stock into at the time. But of course, as we know now, 18 years later, this has become the norm. The analytics are the norm where the old school is generally discarded quite a bit. Well, and they, they basically, because it was, it was new school versus old school, just kind of how you talked about with uh, the Royals when they won the World Series. And they basically put the old school of baseball all into this one character. And he was the antagonist right. for old school baseball, you know, and um, and that's why he ended up getting fired. Now, you know, I mean, it, it, he was, look, he's not the one making the call. As the one, as the one scout said, the ancient guy that had the ear uh, or the hearing aid and all that, he's like, uh-huh. look, he's he answers the two people. Ownership and God. He's like, <laughs> right. we, we're just here to give him advice. He's right. like, you know, he understood the concept. Grady well, didn't. You know, and to a large extent, Vince, and again, you've been in coaching for a long time. I, I think the guys at the top, whether it's a coach or management or whatever else, I, I think you would be foolish if you didn't want feedback from the people that you have working Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. You ask for feedback. You get different opinions and stuff like that. But... The buck has to stop somewhere. Ultimately, someone has to be the decision yep. maker, you know, and that's just the way that it has to be. Yep. Now, and a smart GM or a smart head coach or whatever, you surround yourself with guys that are smarter than you. I mean, that's yeah. just, that's what you do, right? And, but again, like you said, the buck stops here. Like, you're going to have to make the tough decisions. And if that's the route that Billy Bean wanted to go, then his guys needed to get on board with it, you know? Um, and, and obviously some of them did, some of them did. My, the other, one of my favorite lines was after he fired Grady, he went into that room and I don't remember the name of the guy that he talked to. He's like, have you ever played baseball before? He's like, I played, I played some, some T-ball. T-ball. He's like, you're the new head scout. <laughs> that was great. Oh man. And apparently that Grady, Grady Fusen, the scout was a real character and he did get fired, but they hired him back in 2010. I don't know if he's still working oh, really? for him now or not, but uh, interesting. What I what I read was Grady didn't actually use the f bomb, and he said, you know, that that makes it an issue when he's watching the movie with his grandkids or something like that. But but uh, he didn't actually use the f bomb. But they repaired their relationship at some point, and he did, he did hmm. go back to work. Oh, for that's the good. Again, yeah. All right. Do you have any other there scenes? Uh, nothing specific. No, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm just looking. I I don't think I've really got many either. We always ask if this holds up over time, and I think because of everything that we've talked about, that the difference in the way things were in 2002 to compared to the way they are now, I think this holds up more than ever right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, yeah, it, for exactly what you said. It's a period piece, right? Technically, I mean, yeah. it, it has to take place at this time for it to make sense because you can't. You can't describe Moneyball and you can't have that now because everybody's doing it. It's not a unique thing that he's going to get all kinds of pushback for. Right. You know, and, and you, it's a true story, number one, and it took place at that time, number two. So that right there says that it holds up because that's when it happened. But if you change teams, for example, um, and you made it now, it doesn't hold up because yeah. everybody's doing the same thing and it's not some revolutionary idea and he's not going to get that pushback. Well, and watching this in 2011 when it came out, there were still the, that was Oh yeah. that was the middle ground. There were still a whole lot more people and I think even now especially at 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 lower levels, people who have essentially grown up playing baseball, coaching baseball to some extent, who still place a lot more emphasis on things like batting average and that kind of stuff than than sure. slugging percentage, on-base percentage, OPS, whatever. But I, I think that in 2011, there were definitely a lot more people who still fell into the old-school approach than nine years later right now. Whereas if you're watching it for the first time right now, you're going – are you kidding me? How, how did these people ever think that way? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. How was how was that the norm? How, how is that possible? Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing how much baseball coaches have had to learn to be math teachers essentially, and and really dive in deep. I mean, the app that I use to keep score at my games automatically has all of those breakdowns right. in it. I mean, it's awesome because I can take it and I can really dissect it. And I shoot, I found myself going down the rabbit hole dissecting all the stats of these guys. You know, after a couple of games of data, 
you know, trying to put together a lineup, yeah. you know, because there's so much data that you have to. It gives you everything. You, it just gives you absolutely everything, and you have to be able to discern what's important and what's not because there's just so many numbers that get thrown at you in baseball. Yeah, I mean, in those in those apps, because virtually everyone is keeping score on some kind of digital device right now, and those those programs, as you said, they give you everything. Runners oh, in scoring position, the slugging awesome. percentage, the on-base, all that different kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's more stats than, like, you know, again, even – even just even six, seven years ago, there were a heck of a lot more people who were still just keeping score in a in a in a plain old standard sure. scorebook, you know, compared to Oh that. yeah. I, I actually on I've my team uh, <laughs> Yeah, we, we have we have the app, but then I've got an older coach. He's like, I need to keep it on paper. Yeah. All right, cool. You go ahead. You I'll keep get your it on scorebook. paper. But I you need keep it, it on this paper way because yeah, yeah. because it, it, exactly. if you're going to do it on paper, you have to convert everything yeah. to those numbers that you're talking about. And it's like, as again, as the coach, it's like, okay, you, you do it on paper, but this guy's going to do it on the iPad because I don't have time for all this other stuff. Well, I, cause I like to analyze what just happened on the bus ride home. Right. You know what I mean? Like I don't right. have time to do all that math. You exactly. know what I mean? Like, exactly. so I, I love the apps. Those are fantastic. Yep. We always ask, what role could Kevin Costner have played, <laughs> Vince? This was actually tougher for me than I might have thought. Really? Just because if you look, Brad Pitt is 56, Costner is 65. So there's a nine-year difference okay. between them. Billy, ba- Billy Bean right now is 58. So Pitt is a lot closer to Billy Bean's real age. So where do you have Kevin Costner? What role could he have played? Well, I, I had him as the Billy Bean character. Uh, when we first started doing this, you said that I could have Costner at any age. I suppose you know that's I mean? true. I suppose so that's I, true. I could easily see him in the Billy Bean role, um, and I don't really see him in any other role because he's not going to be the plucky sidekick that Jonah Hill was. And and I'm not saying Paul D. Podesta is a plucky sidekick, yeah. but in the movie, that's what he was. You know what I mean? And so that's not Kevin Costner. He, he doesn't play second fiddle to anybody. No, and I, I think that... He would have been interesting. I, I think that the, the the Pit Billy Bean character is is definitely sort of the most logical choice. I don't think that Costner in the Pit role. I don't think he would have been nearly as compelling as Pit was. I I think Pit gave a really good performance. Again, he was nominated for an Academy Award. I think Costner. Whenever I do the the Costner casting, I try to think, especially since he's done three other baseball movies. What would it be a new approach for him? You know, where where could he sort of be the anti-hero yeah. or, or that kind of thing, or even the villain? You know, one of the scouts, maybe. I, I don't know. The, the, he could have been Art Howe. Yeah, the, Art Howe. I think Art Howe actually would have been a really good one because, I mean, yeah. especially like we were talking about the body type that Philip Seymour Hoffman has. Maybe Costner wouldn't have wanted to shave his head and, <laughs> and be Art Howe. Yeah. I think Art Howe actually would have been a really good one. And yeah. because of Kevin Costner's knowledge of baseball, maybe he brings something different to that role. Yeah, yeah, I think well, I think the Art Howe character almost would have been more prominent too if yeah. if Kevin Costner was in that role. You know what I mean? Not yeah. not that it wasn't prominent because he was clearly the antagonist to the whole movement on the field. Um, but I think that they would have brought him even more into it if it had been Kevin Costner. Yeah, and. I- Philip Seymour Hoffman and Bennett Miller, the guy who directed it, they had worked together. They've worked together on a few different things. In 2006, they did Capote, and Hoffman won the Academy Award for that. So I, I would assume just the logical leap that that had something to do with Hoffman getting that role. But I, I, I think I think for sure, I think Costner, because, again, he would have been older than Billy Bean, so that would have made sense for his age and stuff like that. I think he would have made a really good art hell, now that you say that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I actually, because I think Brad Pitt did a really good job as Billy Bean, obviously. So taking him out of that role is difficult. Yeah. And so, and I enjoy Philip Seymour Hoffman in general, but I feel like that could have been done by multiple people. And yeah. I think Kevin Costner would have been a good one. All right. We usually ask what Dwayne The Rock Johnson <laughs> could play. I just don't think that he fits in this no. anywhere. I just the don't only... think there's a place for him. I tried. I really did. I like at he's first I was like, well, brand. <laughs> he's physic, you know, he's obviously a physical freak, yeah. you know, so he could be a player, but baseball players aren't built like that unless they're Barry Bonds. Um and, you know, gene- uh, drug-induced 
Right. Um, <laughs> so that wouldn't really work. And then I thought, well, you know, he's not going to be Billy Bean because that makes no sense whatsoever. And like you said, he's not going to be Peter Brand. So then you get to like, okay, maybe he could have been like one of the GMs that they talked to. Because, um, okay, another GM could look like, <laughs> uh, you know, The Rock, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Um, but that's really the only other spot I could see. He's not going to be the owner. Right. You know, maybe he could have been the, the goofy ex-husband, or I mean the new husband of the ex-wife or something like that, more like a cameo. Yeah. Uh, but I would have a hard time looking at The Rock and thinking he didn't know anything about baseball, which this guy clearly didn't, you know. so Exactly. All right, Moneyball, 2011. Thumbs up from both Vince and I. I don't know what we're doing next or <laughs> what our plans are, but we'll figure something out, I guess, at some point. Yeah, it's not like we don't have time on our hands. Yep, that's right. We will talk to you next time. Two guys talking sports movies.